Father, we are here expectantly waiting for you to speak and to teach. We understand your will in this, that you want us to know this information. We pray that it would just be seared into our minds, that we will be very familiar with what has taken place thousands of years ago and how it is relevant to us today. And we know this is for the purpose of changing us, giving us insight into the things of this world and the things in the next life. Help us to be attentive, Lord, and instruct us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 12 here, and the last plague has more space dedicated to it than any of the other previous plagues that have been written down here. God decided that this was so important and he wanted to make it abundantly clear that faith was at this time and is necessary for an individual to be saved from the wrath of God. There is only two places that we go when an individual dies. If you accept Christ, you go to heaven. If you don't accept Christ and his salvation, then you go to hell or the lake of fire or the pit where there is darkness, there is weeping, there is gnashing of teeth. And those are the only two options we are given. Now, as human beings, we have decided we don't like those options. We're going to come up with more. Uh, For instance, let's do the do-over. Let's just die and come back and die and come back. And if you come back when you have done things wrong, you might come back as an animal or a cockroach, and then you have to do it again and start from the bottom and work your way up. And God said, no, it's not going to work that way. You get one chance at this. You get one shot. Have you guys seen those uh, basketball videos where they pull somebody out of the stands and for $10,000, if you make the shot from half court, you win. And then somebody wins and they just go nuts when they win, right? You get one shot to make this ball, but you have to throw it, right? Most people grab hold of it. They understand it. And are they going to throw it? Most don't. And so that is why we go through the word. We learn these things as we read the scripture here. Could you do me a favor on the temperature at the back and just take it down to what I'm thinking, 68 on that side only because everybody's fanning on this side. All right. Thank you. So this idea of this plague that God has given to us, we understand that an individual or a family They had to trust that the blood on the doorpost and the lintel of the house would be a sufficient sign to the angel of death to pass over that house because everybody was under judgment, but something actively had to be done to keep from dying or having somebody die in your household that was firstborn. The blood is what the angel of death would take as a marker. That's in the Old Testament, the Passover. It's the same thing in the New Testament. It is the blood of Christ that the angel of death, so to speak, takes as a marker, looks upon us, sees the blood of Christ, and God's wrath is averted. It goes to those to whom it is deserved. And those to whom it is deserved are those who reject the Savior because he has given so much 
to redeem us. And we know that this wrath is coming in First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. It talks about Jesus Christ who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now, this coming wrath can also mean the seven-year period, the tribulation on the earth, but ultimately it means the great white throne judgment and being thrown into the lake of fire. Now, going on with this, I just want to make sure that you understand the context of everything that's going on with the Jews, and this is the um, implementing of the first of the feast for the Jews, and it is the most important. It is the Passover, and is when also Jesus was crucified on the day of preparation for the Passover at the same hour that the lambs were being slaughtered for the Passover meal that evening. And so Jesus shows up in, in this particular month, it's the month of Nisan or Nisan, it's Nisan. On the 10th of Nisan was the triumphal entry. By the time you get to the end of the week, Jesus is praised, crucified, buried, and rose from the dead. It was from Sunday to Sunday. And that's what Passover was. And that's when we celebrate the resurrection day, what we also know as Easter. Then there was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the idea of this, pe- this particular feast was to point to the Messiah for his sinless life. That's what leaven represented. And I'll go ahead and expand on that a little bit later. Then there's the Feast of First Fruits recorded in Leviticus chapter 23. This is also pointing to the Messiah Jesus was resurrected on that very day. Now, in the Feast of First Fruits, what you would go do is you would gather some of the grain, some of the harvest, and you would bring that in from the harvest and you would offer that to the Lord. That was the Feast of First Fruits, and it was once a year. Well, Jesus is the first fruits of those who are to be raised from the dead. He has already been raised from the dead. This is called the first resurrection. Now we are going to have a part in the first resurrection as well, those who believe in Christ. But the first resurrection began with Jesus and it will end with the church being raptured. That's the first resurrection. The second resurrection has the great white throne judgment and those who were saved and died during the millennium or during the tribulation period. Some of those during the tribulation period will be resurrected right away to rule and reign with Christ. But everybody else will be resurrected at the great white throne judgment and that's called the second resurrection. So Jesus Christ is the first fruits of those who are supposed to be redeemed. Then there's the week of, or the week's, Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost. That's when the church was born. It was 50 days after the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that's when Peter gave his message and 3,000 Jews got saved. That was the inception of the church. But it was originally a festival for Israel. And God acts according to his festivals. Then there's the Feast of Trumpets. Now, this is an interesting one. This is the one that I really like. And not that I don't like the other ones, but this one takes place in September, October, during that time. And a trumpet was blown. The shofar was blown at that particular time. But what happens in the rapture of the church? What's the first thing that people hear? The trumpet call, the blast. And nothing has happened, prophetically speaking, on this particular feast and so when it gets to september or october i mentioned this last week that's 
I believe that is when the rapture will take place is on one of these feasts because this is a big deal prophetically. This is where God takes his church out. And so whenever September comes along and the actual date of the Feast of Trumpets, I'm just looking forward to it every single year. And as the world gets worse every single year, I'm just going, wow, is it this year? Could it take place at this time? And I, like I said, I'm fully convinced that this is the feast, and this is just my opinion, but I'm fully convinced that this is the feast in which the rapture will take place because God has set up these feasts to point to something prophetically in the future. For instance, the Day of Atonement is another feast that prophetically points to Jesus Christ when it was originally given. He's the Lamb of God, the Day of Atonement. And you had the one goat that was sent into the wilderness and then you had the other that was sacrificed and Jesus Christ taken away the sins of all people while the priests would atone for the sins of the nation of Israel at that time. And that was the one day he went into the Holy of Holies. And I can't wait to get to the tabernacle. How the tabernacle is a representation of Jesus Christ and everything that is about that, whether it's the skins, the badger skins that are on top or sea cow they call it or the colors or the different materials everything that is in that tabernacle and I'll show you pictures of the markup a mock-up of the one that is in the valley of Timnah in Israel it just explains everything it just makes it completely clear where at the time that they were doing this I'm sure the people were just saying why are we doing this what is this all about what do you mean we need a brazen laver over here? What's the incense for? And, you know, you got this lampstand. What's with the colors that are going on, the blue, purple, and scarlet yarn? I have no idea. God just said to do it. And that's what they saw. But we look back in the New Testament, it's revealed. In the Old Testament, it's concealed. You see this stuff and you go, wow, God was setting all this up so I would know what's going on. And you would know how he was, has been working throughout all time. And if you miss this, if you just say, no, it's not real, it's kind of like the evolution versus creation debate. The evidence is all around us that God created things. I mean, there's order to the universe, the cosmological argument for the existence of God. You don't even have to use the Bible, how all these laws are in motion that just keep everything going. As a side note to this, you know, they've, they think they found a new planet that is about the size of Neptune that is out there and it's beyond uh, the last micro planet now. It's not really a planet anymore. Poor Pluto has been orphaned in some way. But there's another one beyond that and it's in the Coupier Belt which is way out there and the reason that they figured this out mathematically is because all the orbits of the planets... And how they go, they're all kind of pulled in this one direction. And they're going, why is it pulled? So they did the mathematical work and they said, there's a, something pulling all these planets way out there. Now, we haven't seen it, but they think it goes 15,000 years around the sun and it keeps on going around. They haven't found it yet, but there's a call now. Find it. Where is it? It is out there somewhere. We have to find it. And all this stuff is set up. And how did they figure it out? Truth mathematics. Is mathematics a system of order? Yes, it is. One plus one is two. Two plus two is four. I mean, it it is intelligence, and we didn't invent it. We discovered it. It was already existing. We had nothing to do with it. And all the, the trigonometry, the geometry, the calculus, all of that, nobody invented it. We just figured it out, and God wanted us to. 
God wanted us to figure this out. And, and in everything, I'll give you an example of this. If you are a mathematician or somebody who is, they do studies on the numbers of trees in a forest. <laughs> what an exciting job. But they, they figure out, they know, they can work these logarithms and they can determine in a given acre how many trees there are going to be through mathematics. They know how to do that. They can say within just a couple of trees, this is how many trees are going to be there. They do this with your data on your online browsing. They're finding out all kinds of stuff about you guys, about me, by what you do when you surf the net. And they gather all this data and they pump it into a computer and they figure it out and they gain knowledge. They didn't invent the logarithms. They didn't invent the mathematics. That stuff was always there and God has allowed us to discover it. And so I digress. This day... Of atonement, many people also believe that it is the second coming of Jesus when he will come back to earth. Now, I don't, I don't know if I buy that one. That could be, and I get it if that's the case, but I believe that there is something in the future that points to the prophetic fulfillment of the day of atonement and also the tabernacles or the booths. The Jews, when they came out of Israel, or excuse me, when they came out of Egypt, they had to li- live in these manufactured huts and it's you know they had tents a lot of them had tents but they may have had to get palm leaves and things like that and lay those out and make a shelter and whenever god said it's time to move they'd have to break down their shelter and they'd have to move on they didn't make permanent homes because they were always on the move and this is what the feast of tabernacles or the feast of booths symbolizes now For us, many scholars believe that this feast points to the Lord's promise that he will once again tabernacle with his people, that he will come back with us. Another side note, less popular, is that we are going to be with the Lord for a short time, tabernacling, not in the wilderness, but in heaven. And that will be for seven years before we come back. And so all of these have prophetic fulfillment Now, we left off in chapter 12. We went to verse 13, and that dealt with the first Passover. And you had in verse 7, they were to eat the meat roasted over the fire. They were to eat the bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. And all of those have a description uh, later on that I'm going to give you of what they actually mean and why they were doing it. But in verse 11, it says, this is how you are to eat with your cloak tucked in your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And so when you sat down to have this meal, like if you were in a fast food restaurant and you had to stop quickly in and out burger, you had to stop quickly in there, eat your burger and get out. You kept your jacket on, your computer case was right next to you or whatever, your backpack, you had it sitting there, your keys were in the hand, you just had to eat this thing real fast and you had to get out. That's how God told them to eat this. Now, for somebody who was living back then, they didn't have pants and shirts like we have. They would have these robes. They had an inner cloak and they'd have an outer cloak. And that inner cloak, it would go down below the knees and what they were supposed to do is take a belt, the belt, and they would, they would wrap it around their waist, but they would take what is hanging down below the knees and they'd pull it up and they'd tuck it through the belt 
you know, or into the belt, and they'd strap that thing on like I'm ready to move. And so they wouldn't trip over the dress, so to speak. You ladies, I'm sure, can uh, empathize with this, especially a young woman who's coming down the aisle and she has a big flowing white dress. Her uh, maid of honor, I guess, is to be the one to just make sure that this dress gets turned around just right because it would be very embarrassing if she fell over, you know, that type of thing. And so the people back then, the men especially, this thing would be hanging down. It would keep them warm. They would bring that thing up. They would cinch it up, and they'd have their staff in their hand. They'd have their lamb shank in the other, and they'd be gnawing on that thing like, okay, we're supposed to go. But the modern-day version of this, the Jewish Seder, they kind of take their time. Some of this has been modified, but that's how they were to eat it. Like, eat it all and eat it in a rush. And when they would sacrifice a lamb, usually they'd have about 10 people per lamb. So you'd bring in the neighbors or whatever, and you'd all sit down like you're ready to go somewhere, and you would devour that thing. And whatever you didn't finish by morning, you were supposed to burn this lamb, this sacrifice up. So that's why they were doing this. Now, this also is an anticipation for us concerning the rapture we don't know the day or the hour that jesus is going to come back it's going to be instant how instant instant more instant than instant coffee more instant than instant orange juice tang remember tang the drink of astronauts you know you just mix it it's more instant than that well how quick how fast can you blink your eye everybody tries it right how fast can I do it? It's faster than that. It's faster. It's a twinkling of an eye. What's a twinkling of an eye? It's when you're looking at somebody and you see the light refracting off of their lens and it hits you. How fast is that? 186,000 miles per second. How fast will you be translated from this life to the clouds? 186,000 miles per second. I think it's going to be faster than that. Your hair will all be pushed back because it's so fast. You know, you'll be going up there. But it's going to be quick. And God says, you're not going to know when it's going to take place. It's just going to happen. And how are we going to know? I think we have about a split second to hear the, dun, 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 the, the trumpet's going to blow. And all of a sudden, whew, you're, you're there. That's what this is. It's a preparation. These guys didn't know when they were going, but they were prepared. So it's telling us, be prepared to go. Now... I listened to another pastor talk about this. What would you do in the next 24 hours if you knew the rapture was coming? Hopefully you'd say, nothing. I'd do just what I'm doing, right? In other words, you're living your life in such a way that if it happens in the next 10 minutes or 10 years... The days are all the same. That is how we are living. That's what they were doing. They were, every second, every minute that they were sitting there with their staff and they were eating the lamb shank and everything else that was there, it's just like, okay, we're ready. If, you know, we're ready to go whenever. Okay, is that it? No. Okay, I'm going to wait. Oh, what? And they're kind of anticipating what's going on. That's supposed to be us. We're anticipating what's going on. And so that's why they were girded like that. The day or the hour was unknown. This is reiterated in the book of Mark, chapter 13, beginning in verse 32. No one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on your guard. Be alert. 
You do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going away. He leaves his house and put his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. So there's one at the door going, is he here? No, not yet. Oh, is he there? No, he's not there. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone in exclamation points, watch. That's why I keep track of the news. That's why I see where the world is going. That's why I keep track of the signs of the times. I'm want to watch i want to encourage you guys to watch too as the wickedness just kind of rises to the surface keep watching and that determines our behavior as well we want to be pure in our behavior now going on with this verse 12 i want to pick it up there on that same night i will pass through egypt and strike down every firstborn both man and animal men and animal and i will bring judgment on all the gods of egypt i am the lord the blood will be assigned for you on the houses where you are and when i see the blood i will pass over you no destruction plague destructive plague will touch you when i strike egypt and so it was by this blood of the innocent that was used to protect the israelites from judgment and physical death we are saved by the same way it's the blood of the innocent which is jesus christ the lamb of god to protect us from judgment and spiritual death now it had to be a lamb without defect we know that christ was out without defect and they were to put the blood i already told you how to do that on the house but theirs was put the blood on the house ours is to drink the blood and to eat the flesh Now, not literally speaking, but that's what we do by an act of faith. And by doing that, that is what brings our salvation, what I alluded to earlier. Going on, verse 14 here. This is the day you are to commemorate. For generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a feastable to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat the bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it, from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. Now, this is pretty important here. If you just have wonder bread, you would be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly, and on the, another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days. In other words, they are to take a week off, except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. So you couldn't fix the house, you couldn't you know, build a barn, you couldn't do any of that. So the timing of this Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, this is when Jesus presented himself to the Jewish na- nation on the 10th of Nisan. He was crucified on the 14th of Nisan. Jesus was buried on the 15th of Nisan, and which that would have been the time of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So in type, inside of this context, Jesus was the one who was being pointed to and the nation of israel should have recognized this now concerning the yeast or the leaven you've heard me say it several times this is representative of evil corruption wickedness ultimately sin and decay because that's what happens when the yeast is introduced to the dough the dough starts to decay And that's where the gas is produced that causes the loaf to rise. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about this concerning sin inside the body. 
It says, get rid of the old yeast that you may have a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. See the connection there? He is the one without yeast. We are to remove all sin and wickedness inside the church. We are to remove all sin and wickedness. Now, if somebody is involved in a sin inside the church, we say, hey, you know, can you stop this sin? God wants us to do that. And they say, no, I can do this and it's okay. We're to ask them to exit. That would be considered yeast because it would eventually stumble somebody else in the body. And that other person would say, it's okay. Look at so-and-so. They were involved in this. So why can't I do it? You didn't do anything to them. Oh, you hypocrite. You judge them or don't judge them and you judge me. You see the problems it creates? This is not something we made up as the church and that's what the world would point to. Oh, look at you Christians over there judging people inside the church. By the way, the scripture says you're supposed to judge the people inside the church and not judge the people outside the church. Judge the ones who are inside, and if there's any yeast in there, get rid of the yeast, and you invite them to repent. You invite them to turn from this, but some people just will not. And that causes all kinds of commotion because of the sin of the individual. But people will look at the church and say, no, you're to blame for this. No, we're just telling you what Christ said. This is his church. This is what we're supposed to do. And so he says, get rid of this corruption, this decay. Now, Jesus never saw any decay in his body psalm 16 verse 9 therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoices my body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave nor will you let your holy one see decay acts chapter 13 verses 35 and 37 also say this it reads so it is stated elsewhere you are not you will not let your holy one see decay now i need to point out something here the english language i would hate to have english as a second language because when you're talking about seeing you're really not talking about seeing like for instance if uh, a little child comes up to you your child or grandchild and says can i have a cookie and you say well, let me see. Does it mean, let me look at it? It doesn't mean, let me look at it, right? Or if somebody has a problem, they're working on a math problem, and you're a teacher, and you're bending over their desk, and, and they're saying, teacher, I'm having a problem with this math. And you bend over and say, well, let me see. You're not saying, well, let me see. That's the secondary definition of the word see. You're saying, let me understand and so to come in, and then the spelling. Do you spell it S-E-E or do you spell it S-E-A? Can you see the problems in English? And that is a problem when it comes to translation of the scriptures. And so it means that Jesus, he did not see decay. He did not experience decay is what it's referring to here. And so Jesus' body never started to rot is what it says. Now it also refers to the fact that he's not going to have any broken bones and that refers to the book of Psalms where not a bone in his body will be broken and John reiterates that in his gospel that not a single bone was going to be broken and that's how they determined if somebody who was crucified had actually died. They'd go up and break the legs, the bones, so that they could no longer breathe. They could no longer push up and that's how an individual who is crucified actually dies as they uh, suffer asphyxiation they cannot breathe they cannot get enough oxygen and so the body shuts down it's a very painful death but they saw that jesus was already dead so they did not break any of his bones now going on with this 
Verse 17, celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you are to eat the bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses, and whoever eats anything with yeast... In it must be cut off from the community of Israel, whether he is an alien or native-born. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. And I've already explained what this yeast is all about. In verse 21, Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top of the both sides of the door frame. Not one of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instruction, instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants, or in the King James, for you and your sons, it talks about, from generation to generation. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, observe the ceremony, and when your children ask you, what does the ceremony mean to you? You tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. Now, I want to ask you to raise your hand. I think I've asked this before. Have you been to a Jewish Passover Seder? Raise your hand if you have. About six of you. If you guys have never been, maybe we'll look into that where we go as a group. And this is what they celebrate today for the Passover. And it's... it's a solemn but invigorating time. Uh, one of the Passovers that we went to, I mean, there was dancing. We got up there and you know how you put your arms on the shoulders of the person next to you? And, hey, hey, hey. we started going around, you know, like that. And, and uh, they did have either grape juice or wine. And I think maybe some people had a little too much wine, you know. But uh, there was dancing and they are supposed to observe particular things as they go through this meal and the children are supposed to be there and they're supposed to be there and when they sit down when they're real young they're going why are we doing all of this why are we what's the egg for what's the parsley for we get lamb you know, gefilte fish. Have you ever had gefilte fish? Some people do. Oh, man, it's gefilte fish. But they, that's one of the things that can be served at a Passover meal. But when you get, get like into somebody's house and they're serving this Passover meal, and this is how they recognize the Passover. This is what they do, and it's called a Seder, S-E-D-E-R, a Seder dinner, and it had this strict order. First, you would see this nice, fine tablecloth, and the first thing that you would come across would be an egg, and it symbolizes the hope, the new life, the birth, like the birthing of the nation. That's what the egg is. From the egg comes the chicken. From an egg comes a human being. That's when life begins, and so this is the beginning. That's why they have the egg. Then there's the roasted bone of a lamb. 
the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and the lentils and they're supposed to eat it. That's why they would take that and they would eat that and that's what they do. And today, a lot of times they'll serve chicken. Now, they won't serve pork. They'll serve chicken. Pork is off limits to the Jews. It's the other white meat. You can't have that, but they will substitute chicken. Then there is the salt waters that you have there, and you're supposed to dip like the bitter herbs in the salt water. And the salt water is to remind you of the tears that the Israelites shed going through this process exiting Israel, along with the bitter herbs, and they will use something like parsley or romaine. They'll take romaine lettuce. The stem of the romaine is bitter, and so they'll dip it in the salty water, and they'll bite off a chunk, and, you know, the little children that, they'll eat that stuff, or the parsley. You know, you can take the parsley, and you dip it in the salt water, and you put it in your mouth, and it's not like a hot fudge sundae or anything. You're just sticking it in there, and you're going, yes, yeah, man, and you don't like it very much, and that's to remind the individual that their forefathers in the Jewish community, they went through a time of bitterness, they also had wine there, and they could dip this in wine as well, reminding them, and they could, they could fling it like this a little bit, and that means simply they're remembering the blood that was sprinkled that was put on the doorpost for the, the covering over the atonement of sins and also horseradish. They will have a little uh, ramekin, a little cup of horseradish there, and you can dip your bitter herbs, and you can take it in that. Sometimes horseradish is really good. Sometimes it's really pungent. If you guys have ever had that, and it makes your nose run and your eyes water, and all of that is wrapped up in. And the kids, imagine a child for the first time getting some bitter herbs, salt, horseradish, sticking it in their mouth, and of course at that time, I don't like it, mommy. And mommy says, you don't have to eat it honey put it to the side and father's going eat it you know something like that but then you know that can be a wonderful time at passover it can be a terrible time but it's supposed to be a time where there's fellowship and they're just getting along with one another and they're reminding themselves what's going on then there's this stuff called heroset it's not spelled or yeah it's not spelled like that it's spelled c-h-a-r-o-s-e-t-h but it's pronounced heroset and it reminds them of the brick mortar that they were always putting this mortar on. And what this is made of is chopped apples, cinnamon, wine, and it make, and nuts, and it makes this paste. It's real pasty, you know, and you can grab a spoonful of it. And it reminds them again of the mortar that would go inside the bricks and the cinnamon stick that would be in it. Like you'll get a little glob of it there. And a cinnamon stick would be in it. And that's to remind them also of the straw that they would mix with the bricks and that's why they would do that and just imagine you're explaining this to a little child and this takes place this can be a several hour meal you know you're not just sitting down and doing this because you're explaining everything and if you have this Haggadah it is this book you go through this book as you are explaining to the family what is taking place with the Jewish Seder then you have the bread this unleavened bread the matzah and there are three pieces and the centerpiece was wrapped in a napkin, and they, they make these little bags for it. You put one on top, one in the middle, and one on the bottom. You take out the middle one, you break it, you hide part of it inside the house. You stick the other half of it inside what is known as the afikom in there, and you place it down there. And at the end of the Seder, the little children are supposed to go find that piece of bread. Now, for us, if we look at that, we simply say, three pieces of bread, 
Jesus is the bread of life. The middle one is broken and it's hidden for a little while until the end and the kids go and find it. Who inherits the kingdom of God? What must you be like? A little child. So the little children go and find this piece of bread. Second person of the Trinity is Jesus Christ, the bread of life who is broken, who gave his life. I mean, if you're a Jew and you don't see this, like, what do you not see here? You know, this is like the Trinity that is there. And God set all this up. And, you know, they have different explanations for what this is for. This can be the priests, the Levites, and the people is what they might say if you were in a a, a strict uh, Hasidic Jewish home uh, with the Passover Seder. But being a Christian, understanding this stuff, you go, this is Jesus Christ to this. How can you not understand this? And if you ever get invited to a traditional Jewish Seder, you don't need to point it out to the family. You can't see it. What's wrong with you? No, you don't want to do that. You want to make sure you just enjoy the Seder. If it, like if you go to Israel, sometimes in Israel, they will invite somebody who is a Christian to their house and you'll get to participate in a Jewish Seder. I would love to do that one day. But the, the ones that they have here, especially the Messianic Jews, and that's who you want to do it with here, those who are Jews that become Christians and they know all the traditions and they spell it all out for you. Then... excuse me, there is something that you say when you take out the bread and you break it, and I would give you the words in Hebrew, but I would totally demolish it, but in English, it, it says when you take the bread and you break it, blessed are you, Yahweh, our Elohim, king of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And of course, we know that in Matthew 26, 26, Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Then there are four glasses of wine that are given during the Jewish Seder. There's the first glass of deliverance, the second of sanctification, the third of judgment, and the last one of celebration. And that's the one that Jesus said, I will take it with you in celebration. He will complete the task when we are with him in heaven. And as this is taken also, there is something that is said uh, for the Jews. And, you know, I'm not... I'm running out of time here, so I don't want to go too far with this. And then the host reads chapter 12, verse 1 through 13. Everything that we have just covered in the last two weeks, that's what they actually read at the table, and they recount the ten plagues. And the Haggadah, it's the telling, it's verses 21 through 28, and we'll probably cover this next week. And then when the question comes up, how is this night different? And if you're at the table and you have sons there at the table, the oldest son usually gets the honor of asking the father at the table, what is this all about? What does this mean? What do you mean by this service? What is taking place here? And the questions that will be asked are, all other nights we eat both leavened and bread, or leavened bread and matzah. Why do we eat only matzah at the particular Passover meal. The second question that the oldest son might ask is all other nights we eat various vegetables. Why do we eat bitter herbs on this night? Another question that they have all other nights we eat hastily but tonight we feast leisurely and keep vigil. In other words they watch but this is in remembrance so they're not eating it in haste. And the last question is all other nights we talk of mundane manners. You know like so how was baseball today? Why do we relate the full story of the Exodus? Why is this night different? So this is something that is passed on from generation to generation. I'm going to wrap this up next week. But this idea of the Passover, it is 
paramount. It's what has pointed to our salvation, the sacrificial lamb of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you can retain a lot of this information that if you ever talk to somebody who is a Jew that may be your friend, you can explain to them the Jewish Seder and what has taken place and how it points to the future and also the feast and how those feasts point to the future. And you can talk to them about the Feast of Trumpets around September or October and what God is going to do if you simply retain this. That's what it means to be a disciple, that you would have this information at the ready whenever you're called upon to use it. So at this time, I want to pray, close out the service, and we'll sing our closing song. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the dedication of those who have gone before us, especially Moses, to write this down, and the Jews to communicate it through generations. Father, we not only thank you for this, but we ask that you would help us to remember it, to keep it close to the vest that when called upon to use this information, we'd be able to do so. But also help us to use it as a reason for faith, that you have telescoped these things. This was a foreshadow of the things that were to come, and for us it's a foreshadow of the things that are to come. So help us to be diligent. Help us to anticipate your coming, even though we don't know the day or the hour. But help us to be at the ready, Lord. And with your help, we will accomplish this. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen.